Welcome back and welcome to this <coughs> storytelling interview portion of our program. I'm here with Nina Lissiga for the, this portion of our program. It's really more of a conversation than an interview. And we're so appreciative of your taking time to join us in this conversation. So to get started, <coughs> Nina, it strikes me that you are a person of contrasts, or perhaps it would be more accurate to say that you are a person who lives inside of contrasts. You had a career as a corporate chemist, then you became a storyteller. You're not only a first-person storyteller, but you actively lead Pocatrica programs. I'm sure I'm getting that wrong, which are different from first-person storytelling programs. Um, you are a guitarist who's made a second career uh, teaching ukulele. So um, how did you move from being a corporate chemist to a storyteller five years ago? Well, off. actually, I've been storytelling since I was a very young girl. Ah. And uh, growing up in Brooklyn, New York, we would hang out all summer and play. And in between playing, we would tell stories. So it started there. And uh, when family gathered, we'd tell stories. And actually, in the corporate world, I had a communication role. So I was always telling stories. How did you become a chemist, if I may ask? Uh, and what is a corporate chemist? Uh, I work for a large R&D organization, Global, in the personal products industry. And uh, I became a chemist because it was the one subject I could pass in college without <laughs> studying. I didn't understand. I would cram the night before an exam and pass. So I said, if you can do this, then why not major in it? And I did. And then, did you do have to do graduate work for this? I do. I did do graduate work in um, uh, biochemistry. It was halfway to a PhD when I said that's kind of enough. And then I, you know, hit the pavement and I worked at two different companies, but one of them for 31 years. Right. And then <clears throat> five years ago or so, you turned to storytelling as sort of a second career. Yeah. What, what led that to, so there's an ending to the corporate chemistry. What led you to make that shift? I mean, I appreciate that you were always a storyteller, but at some well, point. Well, when, when 30 years is a long time to do one thing. And Agreed. so I was always an artist. And so now what I did is take the art that would kind of had a back seat and brought it to the front and made chemistry only in the kitchen now. <laughs> and uh, I'll be honest with you, what, what really started me telling stories is I found a message in a Coke bottle along the Connecticut shore. And it was a dream come true. And I said, I really have this huge story to tell uh, this little boy tossed this bottle. And I found it. And not only did I find it, I tossed it back out and it got found a second time. So it was just this. Uh, this chain of happiness from this little boy. And that's how I got started. I got on the stage uh, and people listened. And I said, that felt good. I'm going to do that again. <laughs> and again, and again. Yes. Now, how do you come up with the subjects for your stories? A lot of the times it's, it's prompts for shows. Ah. People will actually give me you know, whether it's going to be discovery or, or you're, you know, in motion or embarrassing moment, I will actually come and have this picture in my mind of just like of a scene from my life. And then I take that one scene and start building it, building a story mm -hmm. around it. 
Now, when I work on stories, uh, everybody has a different way of working stories up. I tend to write my stories out word for word, and then I edit them and edit them, and then I work on becoming so familiar with them that they're like second nature. But some people, the story just kind of emerges and comes fully formed, and I guess everything in between. Eventually, I will put it down to paper and pencil, I think more for archival purposes. Uh, and, um, and then there is this stage of once I have something written down, then to test it, that it sounds like a spoken word. So I, at a very early stage, I will actually do voice recordings of myself mm. telling the story so I can listen. <clears throat> and that's actually, how I get to know the ins and outs of my story is to listen to myself as if I was a record. I'm from the, year, the years of we used to right. have vinyl records. Right. <clears throat> I even have some vinyl records. So uh, for me, I don't record them, but I stand at the peninsula when Lisa's not around and say them out loud. And for me, a story, the parts of a story have to fit into the, my breath. So if, if the sentence is too long, it has to be cut up. So well, that's I'll, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you. Uh, if, if I'm given the liberty, I say much too much. <laughs> and so it's been my personal mission the last few years to have an economy of words uh, so that I have time to puff out different parts yeah, yeah. of the story. So I really like to play with my stories. And I'm always eager to get feedback and yeah. all my stories are continuing to evolve. Right. Now we have to talk about this term that I can't pronounce. It's pachakacha. Pachakacha. It's, huh? It sounds really unusual because it is. It's a Japanese word. It loosely translates to chit chat and it's a form of visual storytelling where each story is exactly 400 seconds. You use 20 images of your choice, and it could be photographs, and each go up on a big screen for about 20 seconds. And so when the last image shows, your story is over. And so uh, this has been life-changing for me because uh, it's really gotten me exposure to different audiences beyond the traditional uh, storytelling community. Yeah, it's quite different. Uh, yeah, it's a really great equalizer. It reminds me a little bit of True Tale Lives because you have seasoned storytellers along with people who have told for the first time. And there are a lot of people out there that are very excited by visuals. And uh, with Pachakacha, the the image itself sometimes tells part of the story where there is this real balance and gymnastics between word and images. For example, if I am wearing a pink dress and I project an image of me wearing that dress, I no longer have to tell you I'm wearing a pink dress. I can then focus on a different detail of that story. So the images and the the verbal text can sort of play off each other in a way. Is that yes, you can. You could have uh, these 20 <laughs> images. Uh, I tend to use photographs. They can be hand drawings. Uh, they can directly relate to what you're saying, or they can just be a piece of what you're saying, or it could be something totally different from what you're saying. It's all about getting people 
into the wonder of your story, and in some cases, to take them by surprise. Mm. I love, I mm. love having the audience react to, to a story when I tell it. And uh, when I put up an image, provocative or not, that people are not expecting, there's reaction uh, in the audience. And they also get a sense of who I am when I do that, so I'm being playful with my storytelling as well. Now we have about 30 seconds, so tell us about becoming a ukuleleist. Ukuleleist, okay. I woke up one morning and it became an emergency to learn the ukulele. <laughs> so I went to the music store, I purchased a ukulele and started playing in a group. And from that I said, I have to commit to doing this a lot more. So I started to teach it. I am a classical guitarist. I did own a dancing school and a music school. So I had really? the background. So I started teaching it as, as adult education. And now I perform sets. I teach in colleges and learning programs. And I do a lot of public performance where I bring a dozen ukuleles to a public space and get people to play with me. Wow. Well, there's a lot more to be said and not enough time to say it in. So this brings our conversation with Nina to an end, and it brings our <clears throat> program to an end. Thank you so much for the conversation, for the story, and being willing to journey from Connecticut to here. Oh, my pleasure. We so appreciate your presence. Um, I also want to thank our True Tales Live team, Sam Adams, Amy Antonucci, Steve Koval, John Lovering, and Pat Spaulding. And thanks to the entire PPM production crew with Chad Cordner as the executive director. And thanks to our studio audience and our audience um, uh, listening to this or watching this. Um, our next show is Tuesday, October 29th, when our theme is Come Hell or High Water. Our next workshop is this coming Tuesday, October 1st, 730 to 9 p.m. here. And if you are considering telling a story, uh, we Strongly encourage you to attend a workshop. They're great. Uh, though attending a workshop does not mean you have to tell a story. It's just a good way to get started. Uh, they're open to everybody, and they're fun. And to sign up to tell a story, as Amy mentioned, uh, email us at truetaleslivenh, the number one, at gmail.com. And to keep up with all things True Tale Live, sign up for our newsletter, which you can do at our website, truetaleslivenh.org. I'm David Frainer, and I do want to say, come hell or high water, come join us next October. <laughs> Thank you so much. Good night. <laughs>